Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series, Integrity Matters, a K2 Integrity Podcast. This podcast series is business and financial fraud, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. For this series, I'm joined by Joanne Taylor, a managing director at K2 Integrity. Joanne has 20 years of legal investigations and financial crime compliance experience, which includes fraud risk management, anti-bribery and corruption, regulatory enforcement, and fraud investigations experience working within the financial and legal services industries. I'm also joined by Ray Dukey. Ray is a managing director of K2 Integrity's investigation and risk advisory practice. He has more than 25 years experience in compliance, integrity risk monitoring and management, and investigations. His experience spans across industries with specific focus on financial services, life sciences, as well as real estate and construction. Over the next five episodes, we will take a look at the top fraud trends to expect in 2021, the regulatory landscape in 2021 and misconduct, best practices in fraud prevention, how to detect fraud, and responding to fraud once uncovered. In this fifth and final episode of our five-part series, I'm joined by Ray Dukey, where we take up the topic of how do you respond to fraud once it's detected. This five-part K2 Integrity podcast is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for our fifth and final episode in the K2 Integrity podcast series on business and financial fraud. I am joined again today by Ray Dukey, and we're going to take up responding to fraud once it's uncovered, Ray. So first of all, thank you for taking the time to visit with me. Tom, great to be here again. Always appreciate it. You know, we've talked about uh, fraud prevention, fraud detection, and that leaves us with the response, or if we look at it in the three-pronged approach to a compliance program, prevent, detect, and remediate. What do you see as some of the key elements in a fraud response plan, Ray? So great question, Tom. Uh, I think in the past uh, few years, we've seen uh, a renewed focus by the regulators on compliance program effectiveness. And one of the key elements of program effectiveness is how well an organization um, identify, investigates, and remediate potential compliance issues, right? And so I think this is the, this is the concept of you know, self-governance, right? And I think if, if an organization governs itself really well, the regulators would tend to, to leave them alone, right? And, and let them continue down, down their path. Um, and so some of the key uh, elements that the regulators have stated that they're looking at when uh, assessing if an organization is self-governing is, is how well they're identifying um, and then you know, investigating and remediating their uh, potential, uh, and then lastly, disclosing those compliance issues, right? So it's not just about, oh, we do a really good job, but, but actually reaching out to regulators and saying, hey, we had, we had some issues here, but just so you know, we have, we, we had, our program is so good that we identified it and, and we did a, a thorough and complete and impartial investigation. And, and guess what? We we uh, terminated the the individual or individuals that were involved, and and so no need to look here, regulators. And oh, we're coming to you and telling you about this, right? So no no just no need to look here. We're we're good. <laughs> and so I think those are those are sort of uh, 
you know the key elements i would say of a of a well-oiled uh fraud uh you know response plan <laughs> Ray, one of the things that the department of justice talks about in terms of a compliance program is having an investigation protocol but also have, doing a root cause analysis if there's a failure i was wondering if you could speak really to both and tell us a little bit about more about what you would suggest for an investigation protocol and then perhaps if you could uh, contrast that with a root cause analysis. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, last year, the, the SEC had a you know, record-breaking year uh, with respect to their uh, whistleblower program, uh, both in terms of the number of calls that they received and also uh, the, number of money, the, the value of monies that they paid out to, to individuals that reported issues. Um, I think after an SEC call, it, you know, it's game over, right? It's too late. And so organizations need to demonstrate not just to the regulators, but to their employees within the organization that their compliance department is, is really the place to come to if they have potential concerns, right? And in order to, to do that, they need to, to uh, not only just communicate that they have a hotline, but really let the employees understand that they have, have confidence that the compliance organization and team will address the concerns raised in, in a timely, in a thorough, and that they would apply sort of fair uh, resolution or fair justice or, or e- equal sort of uh, a remediation, despite, you know, a person being, you know, an executive or, or a frontline employee. I think that expression of, of confidence in, in the workers and, and the employees of an organization, I think potentially is an element that would prevent someone from going out to the regulators and reporting the issue and then allowing the company to do uh, its internal investigation and self-reporting. So I think that that in itself is sort of a key aspect of this. I think this concept of, of the root cause analysis, it's, it's, it's a great concept because if and when you're going to the regulators, you don't want to be in a position to say, oh, we've got all these issues, right? You got to be able to say that we had all of these issues and we have now fixed them, right? And and the way you, you know how to fix them is by doing that root cause analysis. What went wrong? How did it actually go wrong? You know, was it a policy issue? Was it an internal control issue? Was it, a, was it a lack of understanding of the responsibility on, on behalf of the employee? But, you know, did, did we hire the wrong person, right? Did we hire someone with questionable backgrounds and brought them into our organization? You know, I, I think that that means it has implications on the hiring and screening protocols. It has implications on what financial controls and how effective you really think they were, right? And so I think all of these understanding the root cause problems when, when you know, compliance officers sitting across the table from regulators say, here's exactly what happened, how it happened, when it happened, and here's how we've, uh, you know, we're going to fix it uh, going forward. And I, I think that, that to me is a key concept there, that root cause analysis, key concept in identifying and correcting issues in the organization. And that also lends to confidence in the individuals who are reporting the issues to know that, hey, th- these guys take, take it seriously. Right. And they're 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 doing the right thing. I think that to me is is a key sort of concept of a, a, a well uh, effective compliance program. Right. In a prior life, I was a, a trial lawyer and I largely defended um, 
chemical and petrochemical companies in the Texas Gulf Coast uh, from personal injury claims. And in every incident where someone was injured, there was a root cause analysis. It was done by both the plant and union members. And it was beat into their heads to report facts, don't assess blame. Right. And the the blame could be assessed at a higher level or someone could interpret it. But the the line guys, they reported facts. And when I would take that to a jury, it was an incredibly powerful tool because it was just that, reporting facts. And uh, at that point in America, facts didn't lie. <laughs> and uh, at least to the juries, it didn't. And is that the same type of approach you would suggest to report facts? If an interpretation is needed, others can can perform that interpretation? Absolutely. So in, in drafting our, our investigative reports at K2, um, we we tend to report on just the facts. Um, very rarely do we provide uh, opinions. You know, there, there are few exceptions in, in, in you know, expert opinion type uh, cases where you would do that. But for the most part, it's an investigative report is just that. What happened? When did it happen? You know, how did it happen? Um, and are our, our best guesses at how it happened, right? In some cases, we, we never get to that final conclusion. But I think that that's truly what the underlying um, you know, basics of an investigation is. It's to report those, those things that are factual and, and, or, uh, and supported right? by, by corroborating evidence, whether it's financial records or, or witness interviews. I think those are all sort of key, key elements that you would expect to see in, in an investigation protocol, Tom. It's not just about you know how to report and where to report to. It's also about how to actually conduct the investigation and the, and the root cause analysis. I think another element of a, an investigation protocol is um, what's called this sort of a triage process. And and I think you know when 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 you think about triage, you're thinking about in in the medical. <laughs> Uh, you know, a space. But I think also in the fraud space, we need to be able to triage fraud issues or compliance issues as they're coming in the door, right? Same concept as in an ER room, trying to identify what what's wrong with, uh, with the individual in a medical space. In this concept, it's what's the issue here? What are the underlying compliance issues? What are the underlying fraud issues? And who to best deal with this issue, which specialist or which, you know, uh, compliance expert should be dealing with this type of issue? Is it an HR issue? Is it, you know, is it a financial reporting fraud issue? Is it a, uh, you know, an AML CFT, uh, you know, compliance issue? I think having that sort of assessment uh, or triage at the, at the outset helps to then bring in the right experts, bringing the right lawyers or, or, uh, forensic accountants, you know, I'm, I'm here if anyone needs me, self, self, you know, promoting. Um, uh, but bringing in those individuals into uh, the fold to make sure that, again, addressing the issue at hand and then appropriately investigating and reporting on that on that matter. I'd now like to turn to some protocols you might suggest for both remediation and disclosure and and. Maybe uh, take remediation first because I have some some additional questions around disclosures. Absolutely. So, so remediation is that is that concept that again demonstrating program effectiveness. You want to be able to to say that we have fixed the problem, right? 
And that's one aspect of it. A second aspect of it is sort of applying the the, the fair and equal um, penalties or, or, or uh, sanctions against those individuals that that committed the the fraud or the misconduct, right? And and that you know in in cases in the past you've seen sort of when the executives uh, commit fraud, it's sort of a, a little slap on the on the wrist, right? And and when, however, when an employee commits fraud, they're terminated immediately, right? And so, what a remediation protocol does is it helps uh, organizations, and it, it's within it. It's it's sometimes it's it's not housed within the compliance department. It's actually housed within HR, right? And HR is sitting at the table with compliance to help uh, you know remediate and apply sort of equal justice, you know, against the, the fraud or misconduct. And, and it, it oftentimes when it involves senior people, it rises to the level of board involvement, right? So you would have, you know, board members or, or the head of the, the compliance uh, committee on the board sitting at the table with HR and compliance and audit and others to say, okay, how do we ensure that the organization is protected and we apply, you know, a fair remediation to the issue at hand? So I think those are some, some concepts around remediation. In many ways, this can be either one of the most difficult conversations or, or hardest conversations that someone like you actually might have with a board or other trusted advisors, um, because it may mean a decision that could cost a company a lot of money in terms of uh, legal expenses to deal with a government or a regulator. Uh, but it also might be not simply the right thing to do from a reputational standpoint, but the right thing to do legally because you'll get credit for it. So I was wondering uh, how, how you help uh, decision makers really think through the decision to disclose or not to disclose, because that can also be a valid response. Yeah, absolutely. And it stems from the the investigation, right? I think, and the findings and, and how well the company had, you know, what's the extent of the exposure. I think those are key sort of Concept. So, as part of any investigation, we we would uh, help our, our clients identify the magnitude of the problem, um, and and how widespread the the problem is for an organization, right? And then there's the, the aspect of the regulatory implications or, or potential violations. Those are some things that we would help the client sort of understand. I think from a you know, a disclose or not disclose perspective. Uh, I think, you know, we want to make sure that counsel is is involved. And, and sometimes it's very, you know, it's, it's not an investigative counsel. It's specialty counsel that just deals with disclosure to government uh, and, and, you know, brokering for lack of a better term, it's a bad term, but brokering sort of that, that, uh, that discussion with the government. And so what a, what a disclosure protocol would entail, Tom, is just encapsulating all the things that we just talked about. Not not exactly, you know, what to disclose, but more so the protocols for disclosing, meaning that we want to make sure it's a thorough and complete investigation, that we understand, you know, the magnitude of the problem, right? We want to make sure that the right people are sitting at the table to apply the fair and equal justice, right? We want to make sure that also... When and if it's time to disclose, we also have the right people sitting at the table to make that decision. 
So I think those are the, those are the things that you I would envision that would be in a disclosure protocol, not not so much the nuts and bolts of what and 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 it's more how to disclose, right? I think is 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 the uh, the concept of a disclosure protocol. Ray, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for not only this episode, but this series. It's been a fascinating exploration of uh, business and financial fraud circa February 2021. And I was wondering if you had any final words or thoughts that uh, you might want to leave our audience with. No, I think I do. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, given the change in sort of the regulatory landscape and, and the changes in potential uh, regulations, there, there may be added exposure for compliance or officers and organizations. I, uh, you know, I think those those individuals need to, you know, dust off the 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 anti fraud program, dust dust off the the compliance program, um, do a risk assessment, understand the the gaps in their potential controls, where where areas where they may not be as strong. Um, think about whether or not you need to uh, enhance. The compliance regulations around, you know, whether it's AML, CFT, um, you need to provide more training to individuals, and and then lastly, do you do you need to do a um, you know a self audit, right, um, or audit readiness assessment ahead of a potential regulatory visit? I think those are some you know key aspects of what I would recommend to to organizations that they they start with the risk assessment and then take it from there. If anyone wanted to find out any more information on that, uh, where is the K2 website? Yeah, absolutely. K2integrity.com. We're also on Twitter and a uh, number of other uh, you know web platforms. Look us up. We're here to help. We're going to link to that in the show notes because it's a fabulous resource for a wide variety of issues. This has been a great series, and frankly, I look forward to continuing the conversation, Ray. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of a K2 Integrity Podcast, Business and Financial Fraud, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Check out the resources available on the K2 Integrity website, which is listed in today's show notes. This special five-part podcast series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much for joining us.